Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your co-host, Dayspring. And I am your co-host, Nicholas from Nick Says Boo. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm Nick G. And we're here to discuss Angel Season 2, Episode 2, Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? Ooh. Yay. So, so both, both Nick's, you requested this episode. Both of you were like, wait, can I be on for that ah. episode? Um, so I want you both to like... Uh, Nick G, you can go first. Say like what it is about this episode because it's one. Of, it is one of your like top angel episodes, right? It is, but I, I because I have very complicated feelings about it. Okay. I mean, yeah, I think I love it because I love La Noir, mm-hmm. and this episode is just chock full of little hints, you know, and, and nods to that genre. But I have really complicated feelings about race, y'all. And this episode is just one giant uh, metaphor that's like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, did you get it? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) It is very uh, heavy-handed white person writing. (laughs) 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 Um, But it's funny, Nick, knowing you and knowing your, uh, I feel like we both have like the same nerdy brain, but you're also like very literature leaning and i was like oh i can't like watching it i was like "Mm, that makes sense that like this makes sense like i didn't realize how much they're referencing other things till i looked up the trivia (laughs) yeah there are so many things even i i mean well it'll all come out i'm sure as we talk about it but just i mean top of the line this is a classic tragic mulatto story where you know that something is up with this mysterious forlorn lady character. <laughs> and at the end, you know, bad things are going to happen to her. Um, so there's definitely like some literary references. Also a lot of film references too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely missed all of those. Like aside from the like obvious rebel without a cause when he's wearing the red jacket. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's also a slight one. I don't know actually know if this is intentional, but right at the top of the episode um, where the bellhop is sent to the spooky room with the creepy guest, mm-hmm. the room that they name they're, they're like, he's in room two seventeen, And that's mm-hmm. the original room in the shining in the book, not the movie. The movie I think is like two thirty or something. I just remember because anytime that there's like, Okay, yeah, maybe I am like deeply nerdy where I, I keep yeah. all the micro references. No, um, but I read that that was on purpose. You are correct. I read it. Oh, shit. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> so keep going because you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're sure. you know, I, uh, I also love in, in that exchange, you know, the bellhop goes up. And, you know, there's all this hemming and hawing about the cre- the creepy one in the room. And right before you get to Angel opening the door, there's a gay couple standing in the hallway and they, like, get caught making out. And I just love that in a hotel full of, like, society's rejects, Angel <laughs> is the creepy one. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, very, like, handsome man that is yeah. not, like... <laughs> you know, the 1950s greaser. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Nicholas, it is also one of your favorites. It is. So similar to the other Nick, I (laughs) do love a good noir story. Uh, This is set in a time period with film and stuff that I really, really love. Um, And I don't know, like this episode to me perfectly encapsulates like what Angel the character is about and what the show is about. Um, I think... This show or this episode is, it, I don't know, it tells, it's a very gray moral area type episode. Yeah. 
and I really, really like getting into those. And again, with the you know with the references, I am a sucker for that. I caught the Shining reference to <laughs> Rebel Without a Cause. Absolutely obsessed with it. Um, I feel like the score is really, really good in this episode yes. too. Uh, it, it, incredibly creepy. Incredibly creepy. And then also Cordelia's top. I just have to say that. <laughs> oh my God, it's iconic. <laughs> I, I feel like watching it for this was maybe the first time I noticed. And maybe it's just because I've been, you know, we've been covering Angel, but I haven't gotten to a Hyperion Hotel episode. This episode immediately felt like very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Like they could do those like sweeping shots of the, lo- the lobby with like the different crowds talking about what's going on and then like follow him upstairs and like, you know, I love I love my Buffyverse shows, but normally they don't have the budget to have a set where you can actually like pan across and walk up steps and, you know, there's space. Right. And the score felt really cinematic too. And Dayspring, you text me while you were watching it because we both had the same reaction for the end. <laughs> yeah, no, I, listen, this is one of those episodes that I, I don't want to say, it's, it, it's not that it doesn't make my top favorite list because it's not good. It's just that there's so many more character-driven stories that happen in the Buffyverse that have the confidence this story has. And listen, I think Tim Minear was the one who wrote this wrote this episode. And I think, listen, I haven't I haven't read The Shining since you know, for like 10, 15 years. So I, I didn't catch the Shining references, but I read In a Lonely Place recently, which was the the huge story of the strangler attacking women. And it's told from the perspective of man, but also I'm a big Joan Didion fan. So uh, True Confessions by uh, John Gregory Dune, who was her husband, of course, dealing with issues of Catholicism and guilt. I think this is just like the perfect mesh of all of those L.A. noir vibes and you know, this episode had a lot it had to do, and it had a lot at stake, you know, especially introducing the Hyperion. And I think it did really well, because you are retroactively rewriting Angel's history to put him in this hotel that we've never heard of until this episode. And yet, it does it really well. And it's in between him regaining his soul and before he meets Whistler. So it's kind of lost years that we can... We can sort of try to place especially when you get into orpheus but it's a good episode and it made me cry so hard at the end for a lot of different yes. reasons than the obvious same i yes. <laughs> finished watch i rewatched this right before we started recording and i also was crying at the end so <laughs> yeah. you're not alone it's just it's so you know the only thing i can think of is again to go down the literary trout uh, uh, route excuse me the things we carry the things that people carry and it's, I think it's beautiful. I just, yeah. So often I feel like, you know, a new series takes a while to kind of get its footing and tell you what it's about. And I think part of the reason why I love this episode so much is that it starts to give you the broader sense of what Angel is trying, the series is trying to accomplish. One, it is, a story about a person who's seeking personal redemption for all of the stuff that we know he's done. Um, But also it aligns really well with the whole point of this episode is that the real monsters are people, you guys. Uh, (laughs) Except that I guess in this case, it's a demon that feeds off of fear and guilt, but humans are like more than happy to play into the fear and guilt angle. So it just, I feel like not like stylistically it's awesome, uh, but it's also 
you know, it's not just about Angel. It just kind of like, I don't know, it, it, it puts Angel in the context of people and kind of points at it as like, yeah, sure, he's, you know, m- murdered many and sucked their blood, but are people any better? <laughs> yes, I I don't know. I It's weird. So I, I always feel differently about this episode every time I watch it because I used to think it was too, like, heavy-handed stupid. And now it's like I do appreciate it and I don't think it's stupid. It's still heavy-handed, but I don't know that... I wouldn't, like, say it's stupid, right? But it also falls into... And I feel like at least half of you have watched Doctor Who, if not all of you, right? I have not. I, I'm not a Doctor Who fan. I like I like Doctor Who, but I haven't watched it. I have not watched Doctor Who. Okay, so it's just me. I'm the stand. Just, just me and <laughs> you, Nick. Okay. <laughs> um, I it felt a little Doctor Who y to me, with like we are introduced to this plot that has never come up, but we're retroactively inserting it. But also we're supposed to care about this, these like new characters that we'll ne- we know will never pop up again. And I'm such a hard sell on caring about characters I know won't pop up again. Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? Like, just, you know, Doctor Who does do that a lot. Oh yeah, all the time. Or, or did. And like, <laughs> that would always bother me. Like, I, for- I don't even remember. Wasn't there like a woman at the end of Tenant's run that was in like one episode one arc of like two episodes and like he goes back to see her again and it's like what and i just like those characters are a hard sell for me do you remember who i'm talking about nick well i wanted to be like oh it's donna but uh (laughs) no i love donna (laughs) separate this is not a doctor who podcast you guys (laughs) (laughs) i mean it might be donna and tenet are coming back (laughs) so yeah we're gonna have a separate (laughs) podcast yeah um but like so even that being said I still fucking cried at that end. Like, even if I thought this was like so, even if I thought this was like the dumbest episode of a Buffyverse show, that ending worked so well. And like seeing this little old lady, just like, ugh, I could cry again just talking about it. Like, that's really well done. And when we get, this is an angel, that's a version of Angel I like. When we get to see him, he's not like emoting, but he's being sweet with her, right? Like, He's like, okay, yeah, we'll go out. Knowing that that's not going to happen, but he's just like being kind to her. And like, I like when we get to have those moments with that character. Right. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. it's, I mean, it's, I don't know if this tech, this this isn't a bottle episode in the sense that it's like, you know, filler. Well, like, kind of, right? Bottle. Yeah. <laughs> but like thematically it is, you know, because it's like, it's a, I'll call it a bubble episode, you know, because it like, <laughs> said, it's just like, okay, one and done. Here are some characters. Yeah learn about them and then (laughs) forget them immediately. Um, But I think that that ending, I mean, yes, it needs to be there for the tear jerking moments, but it's also a good bookend to when we start the episode, he's a complete loner and he wants nothing to do with people. And, you know, we know why he's avoiding people and all that stuff. And then at the end, you can see him come around and care for humanity and then yeah. that leads right back into the rest of season two and the rest of the series. So, like, yeah. we, we need that moment for closure. Ooh, well, Nick, you just made me love this even more because you're <laughs> fucking right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I agree. This is Angel was all about helping the helpless. It's all about fighting the good fight in the face of every obstacle before you and and helping people who are helpless. It's just, it's, I agree with you, Nick. It's one of those episodes that I think really drives home the point of the show. And it happens early on in the season too, when they have so much work to do setting up the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, even 
it feels like there was at least a little bit more care put into this story than normally with like a one-off story and one-off characters. 100%, yeah. Right? Like all, even all the references, like there are, I was looking up, there are just so many references. Like even her name being Judy is a reference, I forget. I was like, that's a reference to like an older movie and like the PI is a reference to something like clearly a lot of mm. like, care was put into writing this. There's also the issue of angel smoking. There was another YouTuber who talked about this, that angel smoking is usually a sign of him being a jealous. So when he turns to Aunt jealous in the alleyway and he fights uh, the victim in season mm. two, he's, he's taking a cigarette from her. When he meets Spike and Drew, he's smoking. Here, he's really struggling with smoking, and that's supposed to be symbolic of his struggle with transitioning from being evil to just who the angel we would meet in season one is, and and the rest of the series. Oh, I like that because that really like that makes me think of. Um, I mean, it's later on in the series, but the the flashback when. Darla tries to get him to feed on the baby and oh, he's yeah. like yeah. really trying, which provides like new context because you, you thought like when you initially see uh, the flashbacks of the world when during the, the boxer rebellion, like you don't think that you just think it's Angelus, but then we, you know, they provide more context and you realize that it's, yeah. it's now angel trying to be Angelus. So I like that connective tissue there. I, I, you know, and I, you're right. Day spring, like even that opening, it's like, the bellhop is like, oh, that guy gives me the heebie-jeebies, which I love that then Cordelia says Mm -hmm. at the end about the hotel. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, they're talking about this like creep. And I mean, like you said, Nick, it is like, it's this handsome greaser, like give me a break. But Mm. they're setting up for- He's so handsome in this episode. Oh, so, (laughs) so So hot. handsome. (laughs) I would deliver his bill. I think about the CBS (laughs) David Morianas we have now, and I'm just like- this no. is this isn't right. No, it's not fair. <laughs> um, but I like I like that it's like, ooh, there's a monster. And like you said, it's like we would think it would be Angelus, but it's not. It's just he's this like loner dude who creeps them out. And I, I kind of like that. I like that reversal that it's like someone's scared of him, but not because he's a vampire or Angelus. They're just like, I don't know, that guy's weird. I mean, to be fair, he does walk into the hotel later on holding an axe. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> like it was just going to get on the elevator. So I don't know if that was like a normal occurrence for him, but that could lend to it. <laughs> well, right in that bellhop, that initial bellhop scene, mm. I, I forget if it's the hotel manager or the bellhop him who says it, but one of them says like, oh yeah, look into his eyes. There's nothing there. So it's like, you know, they're picking up what he's putting down. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> so you're like, guys, you're so close. <laughs> so and then we he finds um a woman when after we see him later walking through the hotel oh i guess i should start with saying that we open on him wanting cordelia and wesley to look into Hi- the hyperion hotel mm-hmm. which i forgot that later they find out that he was part but i was like wait they don't know like he doesn't tell them when do they find out but it's later in the episode um which is also like very par for the course for angel with his loner bullshit right like you do just tell them I had a really terrible experience at this hotel. Let's look into it. And they would be like, yeah, sure. Right? Like, Cordy and Wes wouldn't bat an eye at that. That doesn't seem that un- out of the ordinary for, like, anything else they do every day. Right? I mean, listen. Angel has a problem with communication. Just talk to people. Tell Buffy <laughs> he's a vampire curse with a soul in the moment. Avoid so much drama. 
communication, Angel. <laughs> that is, and that will also be a bad, uh, like, a theme this season with, like, Darla. Yes, just communicate, uh, please. Uh, I've been doing little, like, background watches to try to get, like, ideas for photos. And, like, I forgot how long that goes on before they find out. Like, he's just, like, kind of grumpy and sleeping a lot. And then, like, then he tells them he's seen Darla and everyone thinks he's, like, making it up. And it's a lot. But same. Yes, it goes back to that. So then he is walking through the hotel and he gets into his room and finds a woman who is going through his shit. And she pretends to be the maid, but he, like, clocks her immediately. Uh, it says one of the worst lines in the whole, hold the whole show. God, which one? Uh, which pick the line? I'm not even sure which one. Oh, uh, she's like, I'm the maid. And he goes, uh, you're not a maid and you're the wrong color. Oh my God. Ooh. Nick, Ooh. I want you to know that I just fucking watched this and this is, I'm so stupid. I promise I have a master's degree in my brain. I guess I wasn't paying attention. I thought he was referring to her dress because it's like a pattern. Oh, so oh my gosh. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, God. As you were saying it, I was like, oh, God, Ian, you read that line very wrong. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I really thought it was like, well, duh, yeah, she's not wearing a maid's outfit. She's wearing this nice dress. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. In your, in your version of the show. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My cringe, like when I heard that, I cringed and I was like, wait, it's LA. He could mean either. Uh, he yeah. could, that line could be read a couple of ways. Yeah. None of which are great. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> um, so then it is, it is gratifying to watch him kick the shit out of that PI, though. I do enjoy uh. that. That's also when Angel's really hot, I think, when he's like, he he's not like pressed about it, right? Like he's just like, okay, you can come in, and then slams the door in the guy's face and is like, no, you can't. But like is doing it deadpan, and that that really works for me. In his racer outfit, doing all this. Oof. Oof. Uh, and then he grabs him by the ear and throws him in yes. Right? I love it. I love it. <laughs> and then to to Nick's point of the heavy-handedness, then we see that the hotel manager is turning away a black family and telling them they don't actually have any room in case you didn't get it. <laughs> and then we, I, what do we think of the Cordy and Wes of it? Cause I used to find that annoying, but in this watch, I was like, wait, no, I do like them as almost the chorus where they're like explaining it to the audience. What'd you guys think? I, I like them in this episode, but given what we were just talking about with Angel refraining from just telling them up front. I feel like had he told them up front, there would have been significantly less of them in the episode. Yeah. There would have been no reason for them to be there up until they show up at the end, which I also kind of have issues with that considering (laughs) he says at the end, like, yeah, bring gun. We're going to need some extra muscle. Wesley and Cordelia stand there. Don't do anything. So I don't understand (laughs) why they needed everybody there, but that's neither here nor there, but no, 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 I do. I do love them. I think it, it's, realistically this should have just been an an episode that was a flashback focusing on angel um but i feel like they they were necessary they're the main cast so that was their way of including them and i i do think this season automatically is better including them more than season one was right because a lot of times it would be just they're there in the beginning angel does his mission then they're there Mm -hmm. at the end and like that's it right yeah well i think the opening of season two really established that in that intro between yeah. the finale of season one and season two, they became a little bit more than just co-workers. They became a fully realized team that has a lot of interkinetic kinetic tissues. And 
you know, this is like, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with what we were saying before, but this is stuff when we get later on in the series, when you understand the loss, how these characters evolve. I mean, it's because of episodes like this that we solve this genesis. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. They find out that it's declared, it is a historical landmark, right? And then Cordy's like finds that picture of, with Angel in the background and she which they never really address in the Buffy verse. They're always like fast and loose with their rules with like magic and vampires. And she's like, it's not the vampires don't photograph. It's that they don't photograph. Well, I think, I, I think Andrew calls that out. Yes. At he does. some point. Yeah. <laughs> and then he like, when, says, does, wait, when does Andrew call it? I think it's season seven. Oh, it's uh, during yeah. storyteller where he's like, oh, why does, okay. if they, you know, if they can't stand in front of a mirror, how can they be photographed? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love that. I just have to say, um, just a short thing. One of my favorite things, I don't think this is intentional, but this really warms my heart. Um, (laughs) How much like admin uh, is named in the, like there's like a whole, actually, I guess it's in the next episode. There's like a whole subplot about another character coming back and they're like, yeah, I got a tax guy and a finance guy that could help you get the like mortgage rates. And I'm like, this is the like a name, this is the filler that I'm here for. Just like, tell me, how the sausage gets made, you guys. You need some people oh, to that, research. Is, it's a historic landmark. Cool. What does that mean? I don't know, but you know, it gives them something to do. <laughs> isn't isn't it David Nabbit that tries to help them out with the yes the mortgage yeah. and taxes? That's what I thought. Yeah, because I think I think he's in the next episode. I think or like think in so. two from now because I think that's his last appearance. Because I'm always Angel especially like took like longer to find its footing. And there are a lot of characters like that where it's like, that's weird. We never see that character again and never even talk about him. But I did read that that actor, like, you know, he was one of those guys that was in a lot of things, especially around that time that Mm -hmm. he like, they couldn't find like a way to work with his schedule. So they just stopped including the character because he was supposed to be like a reoccurring character. Yeah. He's so goofy. I think also the reason I gravitate toward that is again, as like the Giles in resident, the person who actually became a librarian because I wanted to do the research while my friends did the fun things. I just have such a soft spot for like the mundane hero, the hero who files the paperwork to get the shit done, who gets the permits. We love mundane heroes. I agree with you. I always think about, well, it's so funny that you said that because there's some issues recently with Axbed that I've been like, but that hero, that, that person was kind of victimized here and they're the one who pushed the the paperwork and they're the real hero of the story and no one cares about them so i'm there with you nick (laughs) thanks for seeing me you you are i mean you are the resident watcher of this podcast now just so you know that is that is like (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm crying tears of joy (laughs) you know i actually this i i I almost said, I mean, you're the only librarian I know. That is not true. I actually know a lot of librarians, which is, I don't know that many people do. <laughs> you went to the new school. Like, you know plenty of librarians. <laughs> also, yeah, I'm queer and I lived in Brooklyn. Uh, so, Nicholas. Hi. Where do we go, do we go now? <laughs> um, so we wrapped up the scene where they find the picture of Angel, and then we move on to the scene where there is the other person that is staying in the hotel that is hearing voices. And he eventually shoots himself. Right, right. Um, and I did, I thought that was, uh, did you find like, I don't know, I, they reminded me of like a little like throwback horror a little bit because it's like he's being talked to. And then we like the way the music loops, I did think that was like good and kind of creepy. 
Yeah, this um, th- that character, the the two times that we see him, very much so gave me Jack Torrance from The Shining, especially Ooh. when Angel sees him in the hallway and he's just talking to himself. It reminded me of the scene from The Shining when Wendy and and um, oh my gosh, the name the the kid outside Wendy and the child, and, yes, <laughs> yeah. And then you see Jack Nicholson inside and he's just like staring mm. off screen. Yeah. It was very, very that for me. And I, uh, that is one of the reasons that I love this episode. I mean, I know that like, like the topic itself, you know, suicide and all that chess is horrifying, but there's such a, a feeling of like isolation and, yeah. and, 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 and given the topic of being, you know, paranoia with the Thessalac demon, I don't know. It like, it makes, th- this episode makes me feel icky. I love it, but it makes me feel icky. And I like things sometimes that make me feel icky. And that is exactly what that character <laughs> and that scene did for me. <laughs> well, it's not provoking. This is further proof yeah. that the two Nicks are the same person. I <laughs> yeah. make me feel icky. I can't stay away. I make no apologies. And you'll both be happy to know you are both former emo kids. <laughs> Didn't that. that was incredibly obvious. Thank you. <laughs> like no shit, Ian. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So then we get we see that the manager goes in with the bellhop. He tells the bellhop to put the body in the meat locker. The only thing I thought was a little like, I was like, wait, we go from there to like, then everyone in the hotel lobby knows. Like, I would think that would be something they're not telling people, right? Um, I had two thoughts back to back, like back to back from those two scenes. One, okay. when the guy shoots himself, I'm like, oh, is this another Hellmouth? Because I'm like <laughs> fast forwarding through all of the things that happened over, you know, the series. And I'm like, yeah, really, that high period is like at the center of a lot of bullshit. But also <laughs> for that reason, incredibly smart of Angel to hang out in a seedy hotel where no one's tracking names and you know that dead people are turning up left and right. Like True. it's a free buffet for vampires. So, you know, <laughs> <good> on <him. laughs> <True>. <laughs> um, and then we get, so everyone's talking about it. Um, they're talking about whether it was a murder, whether it was blah, blah, blah. And then we get our rebel without a cause scene. Um, oh, my, my favorite. Oh my God. Talk about it, Nicholas. <laughs> I, th- this is, um, oh, actually you're going, like when we, uh, at the end of the year, we're going to the, you know, the Halloween convention. This is the, the Griffith Observatory is on my stop. I'm going to check it out when I'm there because it is from some of my favorite movies. It's obviously from this episode, Rebel Without a Cause, which is paired with Angel dressed <laughs> in yeah. the exact same outfit as James Dean standing there. Um, also, Charlie's Angels full throttle. I, I was just about to say, I really hope you're also going to say Charlie's Angels. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Where we see Debbie Moore revealed. <gasps> With her angel. gold guns, yes. Oh my god. Oh, how does she do that backflip, especially with those heels? No one knows. <laughs> oh, physics don't physics aren't a thing in Wait, those movies. Because <laughs> I think of Debbie Moore a lot because the big thing at that time with Debbie Moore was that she had just turned 40 and look how great she looks. And it's like now I'm 40. Oh god. And I yeah. don't look anywhere like that. And she was like, I don't feel old, like she wasn't old at all. So shout out to Debbie Moore for defying unfair real like expectations. God <laughs> I like you you saying that, I'm like, oh you're right. I remember it being a really big like, ooh, look, this woman doesn't look like a goblin because and she's 40 no. as if like oh, Ian, no. you're probably older than Debbie Moore was when she filmed Charlie's Angels, uh, when she was Madison Lee. Uh, that is <laughs> the weirdest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> 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 this is like when I was like 
I stoned and watching, I don't even remember what for, but I happened to be like put on Welcome to the Hellmouth. And I was like, wait a minute, how old is Joyce? And I Googled it and Joyce is my age. In season one, Joyce Summers is supposed to be 40. And I was like, fuck. The worst part is, is when your like best friend asks you to do a live for Becoming part one and two, and you identify more with Joyce than you do with Buffy because you're her age. (laughs) (laughs) That is when you know you're like, wow. So Nicholas, we will be taking photos at the Griffith Observatory is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course. I... I went to LA with a friend from Australia um, who was like a friend from MySpace days, my friend Nick. And we just like stayed in touch and we both went there at the same time and he wanted to do touristy things. I'm really bad. Even if it's, I don't live there. I'm really bad at doing tourist things. Like I just like hang out and go to a bar, go to a restaurant. But he, that was one of the places we went. So I've like been there before. It's very nice. They only do like, do they still do the like laser shows? Like, I guess in my mind it's frozen in like the 1970s. Like I, what actually <laughs> I have no idea. They used to do them in my neighborhood here in Miami for the observatory. Like they would do like Led Zeppelin laser shows. Mm-hmm. <gasps> That's the only yeah. thing that I, I know that actually happens there, apart from gorgeous people standing around looking sad. But that's, <laughs> actually, that's all in LA, so never mind. <laughs> yeah, when I went, it was just kind of like there was stuff you could look at, and the view was nice, and we took a bunch of like cute pictures. <laughs> Yeah, we took our dogs when we were there. We I love that spot so much. It's very pretty. It's, I usually go there. The traffic is wild, though, going up the hill to get there. I remember I called an Uber, and they wanted me to walk down. And I was like, no, I'm not walking down to the bottom. Of the <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they're at the observatory. It is all, this is like, you cannot, there's no way you could watch this and not be like, oh, they're like trying to do Rebel Without a Cause. Like even Angel like looking down with his jacket and like she comes up behind him and he's being all like aloof. And like, I know that it's a show, but do they say it's a show when they're, they say end of the world like four times? Um, well, she refers to it as the pictures. Right. Okay. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So I think, yeah, it's, I don't know what movie it is that they're, she, they're, she's referring to, but it's definitely a movie that they're watching. Can you all tell what mush my brain is lately? I feel like you're all having to be like, yes, Ian, they did say that. Well, to be fair, I literally have the episode pulled up on one of my screens right now. So I'm like <laughs> looking at the dialogue. I mean, to be fair, you're 40. <laughs> brain starting to go. <laughs> Nick, you you are not that far behind me, right? I know, literally my 40th is in two months. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, also, I want to tell this, since we're talking about Ian turning 40, I had my birthday party at Stonewall on Saturday, which ah! uh, one of the Nicks made it, and uh, <laughs> Nicholas That's was right. there, and Nick G texted me on, my party was Saturday, sent out the like invite, Nick G texted me on Friday being like, oops, we came to Stonewall, thought your birthday party was this day. <laughs> it was a day early for my birthday. Look, you might be turning 40, but that doesn't stop me from having senior moments all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick, I have told so many people that story because I I I felt terrible. I was like, oh no, why? because I am just a space case. That's why you love me. I felt I felt like it was like I had forced you to go on a day when like it wasn't my birthday. <laughs> oh yeah, twist my arm, make me go to Stonewall. <laughs> um, Stonewall. Well, that's funny too because both Nicks would have met at my birthday. Um, you can't exist in the same place, actually. It's a, it's a, it causes a rift in the temporal vacuum. <laughs> Listen, I still... Too many nicks. <laughs> too many nicks. I think I told Nicholas this. I have the... There's a group picture of us, like, 
upstairs drunk at Soma, and I have that on my wall. But I also, Nick G, have the picture of the last live show that we did together, the oh, group cute. pic that we took. I put that on my wall, too. Oh, so fun. Yeah. We'll have to do it. It's now officially June 1st, the month of gay. Yes, um, the gay. Hi, gay. So we, we're like, you know, biblically required to go to Stonewall. Yes. And I feel like you and I have been drunk at Stonewall quite a lot. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, never, no, 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 not us. Um, so she she just kind of like leaves him alone because he's not really engaging with her that much. I We like get a quick cut to Wes and Cordy and I do like Cordy's line here where she says, it's like a game of who died horribly because Angel screwed up 50 years ago. Um, <laughs> like, Cordy. Angel, right, he walks through, everyone's discussing whether it was suicide or murder, blah, blah, blah. Judy calls him into her room. Also, I do think that even that hallway set is like very well lit to like be dark, but you can still see the people. Yeah, I was reading on the Wikipedia page and I forget which parts of it, but um, because some of it was a set and some of it was filmed in an actual hotel. And I think I think the, the shots, especially like the more quote unquote modern day shots where he's walking through and you see like the garbage everywhere and then the turned over mattress. I think all of that is supposed to be an actual building like a hotel that they're in versus the the set that we come to know Hmm. so she she's where judy's worried it was a murder is what she's worried about and i do think it's cute that she's like i want to give you a heads up because i owe you like in case you have anything to you know get out of here before the cops come um and he clocks her that he knew it was a pi and not her boyfriend that he beat up and we get the explanation of what happened and i I don't know how I didn't remember this part because I really didn't. I was like, ooh, that's that's what we're doing. And I really, because I didn't, I don't know Angel as well as I know Buffy. I was like, I hope he's not an asshole about this. And I was really glad he was not. <laughs> like, I was like really worried he was going to be like stuck on the fact that she stole a bag of money because my reaction to that is good for her. That's what she deserves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, steal that bag of money. <laughs> oh, he's fully supportive of it. Yeah. yeah. Daddy, you like steal that money. I'm going to give you a cigarette. Yes. I'm, now I'm assuming, this could just be me, this is supposed to be an homage to Psycho, right? Because she does the exact same thing in Psycho, where she's a teller at the bank and she steals the money. Ooh. Ooh, and there's like a PI tracking her down and she goes to a hotel, <laughs> which is an evil hotel. So I feel like this definitely had to be an homage to Psycho. Yeah, because she goes, yeah, she goes back to that period, all that. The, the allegories are there. Or the similarities. Yeah, in the in the um, trivia for this, there are two references to Psycho. Apparently the 68 room, 68 vacancies. I don't know how that's a reference, but it is. Oh, because I think he says that, if I remember correctly, he does say that in Psycho. I forget how many rooms, but he does say we have however many rooms okay, and, and however then, many vacancies. Okay. Uh, oh, and then it, I'm mad that I didn't clock that. <laughs> and then it says, later we meet Judy, a young woman who stole money, blah, 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 like in Psycho. Because yeah, the P, okay, so the P.I. in this episode is named C. Mulv- Mulvahill? God, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, a reference to the corrupt PI and former cop from ni- the 1974 film Chinatown. Sure. Oh wow, there are like so many references yeah. in here. Yeah, God, and there's yeah, there's there's so much shit in this episode, which I do really like because also the thing that I, I know people don't sometimes people don't love a reference, but I don't think they take away from it at all. Like I don't think they're like distracting. The Rebel Without a Cause is a little bit like, mm, but it's fine. 
But right, did you, did any of you think it was like too distracting from the story or no? I didn't. No, I think when you talk up to people and you layer a scene correctly, I agree with you, Ian. It doesn't take away. I mean, as long as it's not, I, I think the rubble without a cause to echo what one of the Knicks just said. It does take away from it just because it's on the nose. But like in general, no, I like a reference, speak up to it. Just don't make it hokey. Don't make it cringe. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I think if the the times where I'm like, okay, that was a bit much is if it's required that you, if you have to know it's a reference in order to understand what's actually happening, then that's just, you know, you're looking down your nose at the audience, but this is sort of like layered in. Um, what I find more distracting than the obvious references is, uh, in this scene where Judy's finally, she comes out with it all and she, she tells him about her history. Um, something that was way on the nose and extra cringy was she's pacing around the room and she goes, uh, my blood isn't pure. It's painted. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Judy. Oh. <laughs> then angel says something to her like "Eh, it's blood and i'm like yeah "Yeah, all right well if you're gonna if you're gonna say that over the top line you may as well say to a vampire i guess right yeah i guess you're right like he is i guess the audience for a line like that um (laughs) i'm not though i'm not (laughs) (laughs) i did i was like oh come on like (laughs) um, i I guess they were going for 1950s authenticity that's true. <laughs> that is yeah, I was going to say that because like, I don't know exactly how they spoke of that back then. So I don't know if that's like true to what they were saying back then or if that just sounds hammy now. I mean, it definitely sounds hammy now, but I don't know how they talked about all that stuff back then. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's both. I, I think, okay, look, my, I, I love this episode. Mm, I would say my problem with this episode is that it's employing a lot of it just it it lacks a kind of nuance right like mm-hmm. if you're going to dig up this trope about uh race and passing mm-hmm. and you're going to do it in inside a genre show like y- you kind of have to tread lightly and not like you got to land the plane and a lot of times the lines in the show are just sort of like oh we're just going to crash the plane and then move on to the next scene <laughs> so you know it's a love relationship I have with him. <laughs> um, Nick, I, I forgot how good you are with a, a quick turn of a phrase. <laughs> so you're going to crash the plane. <laughs> um, so then Angel, is this right after this when he like brings her to the basement? Yeah, he brings her to the basement, right? To like hide the money. Hide the money. Yeah. Um, and I do actually kind of like that, like almost immediately. So he hears the whispers. He says there's something in the hotel making the people crazy. She kind of takes it as like a hyperbole and like, yes, there is. Look how weird everyone is here. Um, but he means it literally. And I like that right after that, we then see present day Angel finding the money and like finding it, you know, where they in the exact same spot. And I guess I, this might be the first time I thought about uh, We're supposed to assume then he's like, shit, she didn't leave. Right. Is that what that is? No, um, so he doesn't get clued in that she's still alive until they fight the demon later on. But the, there was technically a scene between um, the two that we just talked about where Cordelia actually points out um, that oh, there's right. no record of her dying. Right. She checked in and then wasn't seen again, right? Right. And we see, then we then we cut back to Wes and Cordy. And I do like this scene of 
Wes being like, oh, there's some presence hiding in the Hyperion Hotel. And then Cordy's names the demon and like says what it is. But then it's because Angel had called and told them. And she hands him the phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dayspring, sometimes Cordy reminds me so much of both of us with how we are with each other somehow. Like we're both Cordelia at each other somehow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. It's although I'm, par- I'm more of a Harmony. <laughs> And this Hammy Angel? I feel like that makes him Angel. <laughs> no. Hammy is Gwen. <laughs> Gwen. <laughs> um, so, yes. Yeah, so, they he tells them to get gun. They're going to get rid of this demon. And then we see Flashback Angel goes to see a man named Denver, which I don't know if I just forgot this, but we see this man later on this season in his like present day form as an old man running a like mystical bookshop. RIP. Oh. I'm so sad. Yeah. Cause that, I believe if I remember correctly, Darla kills him. Oh, does she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- uh, that's when it's the episode. I forget the name of it. It's the episode when she's trying to get like the glove so that she can get to the, the senior partners and he goes to ask Denver about it. And Darla shows up and kills him. Oh, yep. Yep, yep, I'm looking at his Buffy fandom wiki page, and yes, you are correct. <laughs> Darla stabbed him with a sword from behind before taking the glove for herself. Well, at Ooh, least no. was with this one-off character, they eventually killed him off, <laughs> instead of just not seeing I, him again. I mean, it's weird because I do think Angel did that kind of well, but almost too well, where it's like, all right, but I'm not going to remember this character, like... I, I like when a character can like just pop up every once in a while. I was watching, I recently binged just because it was leaving Netflix. I don't know that I fully recommend it. It's fine. Um, the show iZombie. Have any of you ever watched it? I have not. Um, I wanted to like it. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. He's right. The Mars and I go way back. Yeah. It's fine. It's like cute for like, I would, I mean, I work from home, so I put it on like then and it's fine for that. Cause you know, you don't have to fully pay attention but that show would do a lot of that where it's like here's a character in this episode 10 episodes later they will show up again but they are very generic looking and you're not going to get a reminder who they are so often i'd be like am i supposed to know this person then i have to like look at the wiki page and whatever (laughs) but i do there is like i do like that i do like it it feels more like world building if we are like yes we can bring this character back this many episodes later i do like that shit buffy did it best i I was Oh, Ian, I'm just going to so agree with you so hard. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, the, the thing about the Buffyverse is like the Buffyverse is just like king at dropping what you think is a throwaway character. Yes. And then just giving you little glimpses uh, and like they become like the linchpin in a major thing. Like I keep, I always think of in Buffy, Amy the Witch, where she yes, shows up in like, episode three when this (laughs) this show is just bonkers monster of the week and then she becomes the one who convinces willow to go like to lose all her inhibitions and go dark and like fucking destroy things like (laughs) five seasons later so buffy nails that whole like we're gonna build this little throwaway character and i feel like angel tries to and then at the same time that I think they were also, you know, because it was on the WB and you get a lot of, like, in the first three seasons, you get a bunch of characters dropping by, passing through LA from Buffy. And then I think by, like, yeah, like, some par- partway through with season three, it feels like they just kind of give all of that up. I could be wrong, but. 
Well, you know what's a really good character here that is a shared Buffy and Angel, which it's fantastic for both series, is Anne. Yeah. I just, oh, yeah. Yeah. that is a good example of that needle, that thread that they tied together. And I agree with you. I mean, it, they were really good with doing that. I mean, Gwen's another character that appears, Lila, who will eventually become very prominent. Oof, love it's Lila. just, they do such a good, they invested, I think, I don't think it's perfect. I think there are some flaws in it because we see a lot of actors recast it, yeah. you know, <laughs> and appearing around. But I think, and listen, I don't want to say he who shall not be named, but at least he he was investing at one point in continuity and making sure yeah. you got actors there and, and making sure that people cared at a time when that wasn't the norm. It was more of an outlier. It's more of a standard today, but yeah. Buffy was, Buffy Angel were the, the pioneers for that. Yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff like that, right? That kind of is like in 2023 it's like, yeah, of course a fucking show does that, but back then it really wasn't like that with the yeah. like these shows. You know, like I I always feel like this and like X-Men the animated series are what made me like always wanting at least a little bit of serialized storytelling where like we will go back to that point later in the story yeah. and we do. And that's like spoiled so many shows for me because even now shows don't always do like you know, I, I live with my parents, take care of my mom. She's watching Law and Order all the time. Those episodes, like it's like a restart every single episode. And I'm always like, what do I care? Like, blah. well, no, I'll, I'll take it a step further too. Like, listen, I was a big Riverdale fan when it first came out and, <laughs> and the Arrowverse, everything. But it came to a point that there were no stakes, there was nothing within the actual writing itself. It was just gibberish, melodramatic plot twists just for the sake of having them. And I think a show like Buffy and Angel really spoils you because they did take they they did the twenty two episode season right. Yes, you know there there is some filler. They, there are some episodes that you know you're like, okay, we have to get through this. But for the most part, it does kind of serve as a plot, a theme, or something. And you have shows today that can't even do that for half that amount or a sliver of that amount. So true. You know, it it, it is a high bar to set and. They did it well here. Maybe it's just because I grew up watching Buffy and Angel and shows like this. Just the the 22 to 24 uh, episode format. But a lot of the shows, to what you're saying now, it just feels like they're trying to be more streamlined and they're trying to trim the fat a little bit. And I get that today's audiences probably like that a little bit more, especially younger audiences. But for me, I think I appreciate the world-building aspect of the bigger seasons. Yeah. Like I can't even think like if, if we were to try and cut down a season of Buffy or Angel, putting aside the first season of Buffy to 12 episodes, I can't even think how you would do that and to, to have it even narratively make sense to, I mean, you're missing so many episodes, so many uh, character building moments, even, even the one-off ones. I mean, like you think of like an episode of, of Buffy and a lot a, a beer bad, something that a lot of people shit on. But that was mm. that was to an extent a pivotal moment for Buffy getting over Parker and moving yes, on. Yes. But it's like yeah. that would be considered a filler episode. You cut that out, you lose all of that. Yeah. There's also I'm a big Sailor Moon fan, and mm-hmm. you know Sailor Moon is a 200 episode anime, and the first season is like 40 plus episodes, and there is a lot of beauty and intimacy in those mundane episodes where maybe maybe the plot isn't being serviced or maybe the things aren't, but you get to spend some intimate time with those characters and you get to know them. And it creates that little personal rapport 
versus those streamlined series that go through everything really quickly. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this in the Becoming recording, and Adam Sass said something that, like, editor Ashley, hi, Ashley, texted me to be like, this made me tear up. And I was like, fuck, that made me tear up too. Like, Adam Sass was like, you know, Buffy and Angel are like an argument in favor of 22-episode seasons because not all shows did them well. Like, I'm... I don't want to pretend that like every show was great because it had 22 episodes. They weren't Buffy and Angel. Desperate Housewives. (laughs) Um, Buffy and Angel like did though. And I think to your point, Nick, you're right. Like, you know, even something like this episode, this doesn't really develop any characters, but the beat that I mentioned where like you get to see Angel being very like tender with this older woman is like a very nice, you know, and like you said, Nick, it sets up the rest of like the story of the show. And so this episode, technically the plot of it doesn't matter, but like it still kind of does. Right. And I, Adam Sass was saying how these shows are big argument in favor of 22 episode seasons, because it felt like they were your friends. It felt like these were your friends and they were in your life for as long as you needed them. And you got to grow with them. And like, right. Like that's like, I think of like Buffy and Willow and like, I did grow with them. I did get to see them grow. And like, they were my friends. They still are. Fuck. Um, And yeah, I just, some shows do do the eight season, 10 episodes or eight episode seasons. Well, um, but some shows don't, right. It really, it's weird because I, I, I love Jessica Jones. She's that season first season. One is maybe my favorite season next to WandaVision of any Marvel show. But like even a show like that, I was like, wait, but I would actually like to see her do like Veronica Mars type mystery solving, like that aren't the main case of the season. Like I would have liked a few, like we get one episode where she's looking and these people are mad at the Hulk and the Avengers for like ruining New York. So they go after her like more of that shit would have been fun. And it like, could have helped us develop the character a little bit more. Well, it's so funny that you said that, because I was thinking the Netflix heroes were <laughs> the last shows that I thought, I mean, they were what, 12, 14 episodes. I'm yeah, kidding. something like that. Yeah. But they, they took advantage of the real estate they had, and they yeah. were an example of what could have been expanded more, except for Iron Fist season one, which I know it's kind of like cliche to say it was bad, but I didn't really like that as much. But Jessica Jones, definitely, I could have, I could have gotten a lot more episodes, especially of that final season with the Dark Hellcat saga. Yeah, I, I actively didn't like that last season because of yeah. yeah. Oh God, I love Trish so much. But I I think she needed more episodes for that. Because it felt like such a hard turn that it was like, wait a minute, what? Like, yeah. Anyway. Angel. I was just biding my my time to mention David Tennant. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, Doctor Who. Who. (laughs) Uh, Nicholas, put us back on track. (laughs) Okay, so yeah. So he goes to Denver and asks him how to kill a Thessalac demon, which also this scene always makes me laugh because... Somehow Denver immediately knows that Angel is a vampire and hands him a Bible. And this might be the, is this the only time within both shows that we see a vampire pick up a Bible and it burns their hand? I think so, right? I don't know that I I can't think of a time that's happened before. Someone will probably tweet at us to tell us if it's happened or not. So if it has, let us know. I I cannot remember. Because that's like one of two things. Like this episode where he picks up the Bible and it burns his hand. And then the garlic in Buffy, (laughs) where you see it occasionally. But I'm like, they've never once utilized garlic towards a vampire. So I don't understand why this is a thing. But anyways, he chases Angel outside where there is like a street full of people that are standing right in front of him yelling. And then Angel pops up in full vamp face and is like, don't do that again or I'll kill you. But apparently nobody notices. (laughs) And then they go back inside. I also love 
in that exchange, I think it's it's uh, just before he casually tosses him that Bible. He goes, what are you, like, uh, just north of 30? And Angel is so offended. And I can't <laughs> tell because he's like, I was made a vampire before then, and so how dare you? It was like 19, right? 1921. <laughs> oh, wow, that's rough. Even to be, like, a completely ageless vampire, but technically you're 19, and somebody mistakes you for 35. <laughs> I feel like there's a couple Job. digs at him throughout the series, especially like towards like season five, where obviously he looks a little bit fuller and there, there there's a couple comments that are made to him about his weight or about how old he looks. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh every single time because I just like the the little uh, tongue in cheek references to the fact that he does no longer looks like he did when he first showed up on Buffy. Yeah, which I think like he's like what 32, 33 on Angel season five, and I remember when I watched, I was like, oh, he's gotten so old. He looks so <laughs> old, and it's like, damn. You know, I'm like seven years past that now. I almost every morning, if I some mornings because I work from home, I will just you know depressed work from bed and put my computer on my chest. But if I do get up and go down to eat breakfast, I'll there's like we have a TV in the kitchen and Fuse TV plays Buffy like all day and it's wonderful i feel like i will turn on that channel at the weirdest times and they will be playing buffy they go through like the whole series in a week um so every morning i will put on buffy if i'm eating breakfast in the kitchen and my mom came down and my mom loves buffy too we were watching it together and she kept saying like everyone including giles looks so young in the early seasons and i was like yeah and when i was a kid i always thought they looked like even like Buffy, Willow, and Xander, I'd be like, well, they like clearly don't look like teenagers, but now that I'm 40, I'm like, they look like babies. That See? very thought shit to my core when I think about myself now. <laughs> like, here I am walking around thinking like, oh, they probably still think I'm 25. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm so used to seeing people like on the shows growing up uh, where they were older playing teenagers that now when I watch movies and they're actually played by teenagers, I'm like, this doesn't feel right to me. Like, I can't connect them. Like, they're kids. <laughs> Even, oh, what's his name? He's in uh, Jason Bear. He is in the, I think oh, it's, yeah. I think the he's in it. It's, it's uh, oh. Lie to Me. Isn't it Lie to Me that he's in? He, oh, maybe. He also was the star of Roswell, which I watched mm -hmm. religiously oh but that God, man was like fully in his 30s playing a teenager and like <laughs> you know jacked the arms every day was leg day and i'm thinking like wow i can't wait to be 19 <laughs> um ben mckenzie was like 28 when he was on the oc supposed to be playing a 16 year old and you're like oh, oh, ew, ew. <laughs> uh, rebecca gayhart in jawbreaker she's like 40 in it <laughs> what <laughs> Oh my god! She's not like forty. I'm being mean, but she looks. She clearly is not a sixteen-year-old girl. I think is what I'm saying. I think Charisma Carpenter and Nicholas Brendan were like twenty-eight in season one of Buffy. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I think I've referenced this a few times, but we did um, Isabella Gomez on the show one day at a time, which we talked about in the first episode because the Justina Machado, who plays her mother on that show, plays the woman in the first episode of this season that the pregnant woman that Angel saves. She, her character on One Day at a Time was obsessed with Buffy, so I had queried her to come on for an episode of Buffy, and her agent was like, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. She's actually never watched it, but she would love to watch it and do a podcast with you. What? So I had her watch the first episode. That was so sweet. And we, like, talked about it together, and because she, I think when we did it, she was, like, 19, she was like, wow, everyone looks really old. I was like, oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, especially Cordelia and Xander. Like, I thought they were teachers. And I was like, oh, God. 
Oh my God, the read. Get shady. And, but she, I mean, she was very nice. She was the sweetest sweetheart younger, but she's like younger. So of course to her, they do look older. And I was like, man, but to me, they look so young. <laughs> um, Nicholas, where are we? Um, all right. So Judy has been hearing voices. <laughs> And then yes. Angel gets his supplies and walks back into the hotel with his giant fucking axe and realizes that there is nobody in the lobby because they are now upstairs. And what are they doing upstairs, Ian? They are going to get Judy because the PI has come back to the hotel to get her. And I do they immediately decide to hang her? Like, what the fuck was... I forget how we get there. Y'all. I know. As, as the black woman in the room. <laughs> God. <laughs> Please. Uh, okay, I don't think uh, it was not clear to me that that's what you would think. It would right. be clear to me that like I <laughs> what's about to happen. I remember being very surprised because you can tell that they're ganging up on her, right? And they're all like turning in, and, and the camera work is like making it just feel like very claustrophobic. And then in a split second, they do turn. Well, yeah. no, they're on her, and then and then Angel steps in. Yeah, yes. so the ele- they're all at the end of the hallway, and they're—I uh, believe, if I remember correctly—let me fast forward through this. So they are freaking out because <laughs> they think that she not because the PI is there as well. So they think yeah. not only you know is the PI after her because she's a thief, but now they're wondering if she was responsible for the deaths of the guy. Mm. Right. Um, and they're also calling her a slut, which is random, but. Neither here nor there, I guess. You know, it's funny. I, I mean, the, it kind of makes sense. Well, it doesn't make sense, but like in throughout the course cool, of the yeah. episode, <laughs> I think what contributes to like you know, it's a single episode standalone, and they're trying to build a whole world in forty-two minutes. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate is that that chorus of people who are in the lobby. Um, I think it's two. It's two men and a and a woman, and you, you can tell that they're just sort of like those failed LA types but that's the story yeah. for another time um, but like at the beginning of the episode they're really bubbly and they're just like they're just spilling tea and then in the middle of the episode they start getting a little bitter and it just it does such a I just really appreciate that by the end like you can feel that tension even if you don't know what's about to happen yes yeah, wait so actually you know what I did I wrote down this like quote that where where does it where does he say it the one guy when we have that like chorus of like people that are in the lobby often, one of them says, Don't you dare use alliteration with me, you <laughs> hat. <laughs> Which like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I just like that that's a thing to get angry at. Like But yes, so the 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 crowd has gone bananas. And then what is it? I I forget. I guess the angel team shows up first, right? Before we get to the 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 lynching we we right. get the 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 gang shows up at the hotel right do they they see the demon first right um no so they they show no. up and there's that really cool transition that they do where you see angel standing there pans over to yes. them walking in pans over and then it's current day and then they start setting everything up for the ritual to raise the demon right and i like the like orb thingy that wesley had. i think it looks cool i just i like that like i like when they have to do a ritual because like at this point, it's like, yeah, Willow and Tara, they're good. They're going to do whatever the, like, thing is. And, like, they know what they're doing. But I kind of like seeing, like, this gang have to do it. Because it's like, Wesley kind of knows because he's a watcher. But, like, they all have to, like, be there and partake. Um, instead of, like, you know, Willow and Tara being at Buffy's mom's house, doing a spell, and, like, from afar. 
So I do like that. My notes are a little muddled here and a lot of caps locks. So the demon pops up and the demon is very like Buffy verse demon, right? He's very like, ooh, I'm stuffed. Talking about like <laughs> eating. I get, what is it? He feeds off their fear. Is that what it is? Right. Yeah. Their fear and paranoia. Yeah. Which are right. Sure. <laughs> and he says like the room service in this hotel is still excellent. And so before they defeat him, we see that Judy um, does what day spring <laughs> to get Angel in trouble. What does she say? I don't remember. I know she points at him and says something, and then they all go after she him. She says, it was him. Uh, he's a monster. Look in his room. He has there blood. She doesn't know he's a vampire, does she? I I mean, because the only time that you ever actually see him with the blood is when she's first in his room, when he like comes back into the room because he was getting ice, I'm assuming for the blood or something like that. But uh, he sets the ice tray down right next to the giant bottle of blood, and then she walks out of the bathroom pretending to be the maid. I also yeah. felt like because of the, I mean, <laughs> this could be me just like seeing it because I'm looking at it. <laughs> it, it maybe he, she doesn't think he's a vampire. Maybe she just thinks he's like gay. And <laughs> that says in 1954, that is like just as shameful. Yeah, <laughs> true. Same thing. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, and then they hang him in a very like brutal scene, and like we really see him. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, in my notes, I wrote all caps: a southern demon with a foghorn. <laughs> <laughs> this script would not pass go in twenty twenty three. Correct. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so it's the like okay, I look, I will I will give the writing and the direction credit a lot of credit here. The way that it builds tension from you're like back in the lobby in the 50s, they're piling up on her, yeah. the like chorus of people talking shit is on the side. It's like it is it is a really tense scene. Yeah. And then just like a whole bunch of things happen in quick succession. You're like empathizing with her because they're, uh, you know, they're about to do something to this woman that we know is the tragic mulatto. And then she points the finger at him and she's like, it's him, get him. Yeah. And then you're like, well, now I can't feel bad for her. <laughs> so that makes me feel complicated because now I don't like this woman anymore. But give it five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but then he like, for context, I also had like a crazy um, religious upbringing. So when I say the look that he gives her when they're like hoisting him up over the balcony with the noose around his neck, which by the way, that is too much. I that like let's just be less comfortable putting nooses on television. Yeah, yeah. Like we, I feel like you could have done it just like seeing the like rope go around a like whatever but like we didn't need to see the whole like yeah they take their time with it uh but then he gives her this look that's like what i call like the jesus to judas look where he's like i know my child i know and then he just gets like pushed off the bed it's just a lot it was a lot <laughs> that's such a specific name to that look but i like it i feel like i fully know what I you mean <laughs> <laughs> like you betrayed me 
but I knew it all along. I knew this was coming. But I will die for your sins. Do not worry. <laughs> I'm an immortal being. <laughs> I'm also a well-dressed homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, for real, daddy angel. The, he can I mean, get yes. It. He can get it. Also, the, I, the demon has those weird little, like, fucking tentacle legs coming out of the bottom of his little skirt. Oh my god, with the sound effects? Even when he's off screen, you just hear them flapping around. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Flopping. Um, He also clocks Wesley. I like that he clocks Wesley and like Wesley's upset when he says like, especially you about like their paranoia. (laughs) And they defeat him using a circuit breaker, I think, if I'm correct. (laughs) Yes, he like uh, grabs one of the tentacles and then just like smashes it into the circuit board. Which feels like we just did this long spell and that's what you had to do. Like that's all you needed to do was just like smush them into a circuit breaker. All right, well. Well, he had to be be this like gross corporeal being. Right, right. As I said that, I was like, oh wait, they did the spell to make him like be something they could fight, right? Yeah. I want to know what he looks like underneath the robe. <laughs> because it reminds me of that Family Guy episode where, like, Peter, like, take, like, it's like just two giant legs. <laughs> That's what I imagine. It's it's just the head and then just tentacles. I really want to see it. <laughs> and his little like dress just keeps him like keeps him close, right? <laughs> exactly. I say, I say, I say. Kidding. <laughs> 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 um. Dayspring, and then Angel says he has to go do something. And what does he do? Who does he go see? He has to go upstairs and see Judy. Uh. Oh, oh my gosh, she, she was holding on to that he had died and she had been in the room this entire time, just sitting by herself. And it's just very beautiful. And she apologizes for killing him. And uh. yeah. You describing it, I'm like, I could fucking cry just hearing you describe it. I think, like, listen, I think, like, when examining the episode, there's a lot of themes and stuff that we could be, you know, we can look at. But I just think, like, take root, boiling it down to just me projecting the things we carry with ourselves, the guilt we feel, and seeing that there was some, that there was redemption at the end. I don't know. It was so beautiful. Yeah. And, like, she is. Like you said, Nick, it's like, oh, wait, I don't like her. Oh, wait, now I now I do feel bad for her. Like, they do a good job, I think, with that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah th- this episode, to me, it, it's, it requires multiple rewatches because upon, like, I, obviously, reaction channels, I have been watching a ton of Buffy and Angel reactions lately, and it's so funny to watch people watch this episode for the first time because as soon as she accuses him they're like oh my god fuck her like she's the villain now i can't believe she did that but i mean granted i've seen this like a hundred times but like going back and rewatching it earlier when angel gives her the the jesus judas look before they hang him (laughs) the look on her face though like immediately she knows like i i messed up i'm so sorry for for doing this and i I don't know. It's it's just really powerful, like that. The, the with the theme of the episode being, uh, you know, fear makes people do crazy things. It's very much so, like love makes people do the wacky. Like you, you it doesn't take much to to make yeah. a person do something awful. But even if a person does something awful, there's always room for forgiveness, depending on what it is. Obviously, right, right, right. Yeah, there's in that moment too, right? Like as it, so after they push him off the balcony, and I think it like it goes back to her face, and in that moment that you were talking about, Nick, where she real like she realizes what she's done, 
Right. There's, it's honestly, for me, it's like the best scene in the whole episode. Everyone else on that balcony kind of takes a step back and it's almost like the spell has broken because you can kind of see all of them realize like they've just hung this man in the lobby of a hotel and it was like crazy and frenetic leading up to that. And then like he hangs and it's like everyone kind of realizes like, oh, this like they re- recognized right. everything that they were behaving on. And I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, re- it's, that's really well done. I mean, you're right. It's like immediate that they all just went, she's crying and they're just kind of like, oh shit. And then they just kind of like walk away from him. And yeah, <laughs> it is really good. It's like, There's also one thing that I wanted to point out um, because we haven't talked about it yet. So the bellhop, Mm -hmm. the bellhop is acting over the top the entire episode. He is the one that's constantly gunning to 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 get all the the horrible shit done. And when Angel, right before Judy accuses him, when Angel walks off of the elevator, everybody is crowded around Judy, but the bellhop is standing in front of one of the doors talking to one of the guests. And he's like doing like a weird, like uh, exchange of money outside of everybody's sight. And then when Angel gets hung and everybody takes that step back and realizes what they've done, he's the only one that's standing there going like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, like we did it. This is great. This is awesome. And then you see the photograph of him later, eventually getting, you know, arrested and going crazy. And then they say that he got executed. And I don't know. I feel like there's something to be said about that because I feel like he behaved so differently than everybody else. I feel like he was supposed to be the only person in that hotel that was actually like a villain. Oh, like yeah. he wasn't influenced. He was right. just he, bad. He, he, because you never actually, he, he's one of the, the very few that you never actually see him hearing the voices. That's Ooh, just all that's him. True. Well, I think it, it ties back into that that like overall theme that you know Angel is about redemption, but it's also recognizing that like the real monsters are people, and the whole episode you you are looking at like the drastic changes in, in all of these like secondary people, but it it feels like by making that guy so clearly like there was something broken about him. I don't know. It's just. Mm-hmm. I mean, even from the get-go, he wanted to kick Angel out of the hotel. And the manager was like, you can't just kick somebody out because you don't like the way they look. (laughs) But actually, and kind of the flip side to that, though, in that same scene, I think we kind of like passed over it. But there's a moment where, so the crowd's going after her. She points at him. And then, like, the demon, it's kind of like cutting back and forth. And the demon is finally, like, it's been whispering to Angel the whole time. And just as Angel is realizing that, like, these people are going to kill me, he, like, lets the demon in, in a sense, because he's in this dialogue. And then it ends with, you know, the the demon's trying to convince him, like, you know, these people are terrible. Like, the demon's trying to feed off of what he believes is Angel's anger, you know, resentment, whatever. And he can, the demon convinces Angel that everyone here is terrible and then he's like, what should I do about it? And then Angel says, take them all. Like, at the the whole episode, Angel's been, like, struggling, trying to be, like, a good human and, and ordering his blood, not killing people. And he's fighting the good fight. And then at the end, he tells the demon to murder every person in that building. Like, you know, yeah, well, it's a struggle. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's definitely, like, an evolution of the angel that we see then and now because he, mm. I think he's really upset that they, that they murdered him, you know? 
understandably. <laughs> you know, understandably, but I think I think that was like kind of like the point of the episode, which is this is an angel who is still figuring out who he is, how to be good, how to do righteousness, and he's easily I don't want to easily offend it, but you know, this this weighs down on him and versus the angel we see today. So I think it's supposed to show the the change and evolution of the character uh, through that period. And that's what I kind of liked about that. Hmm. Yeah, that makes me think of um, earlier in the episode when he first, I don't know if it's the first time that he has, I think it's when she uh, tells him the story about why she's on the run and stealing the money. And they have a brief exchange of dialogue where she says, I'm not, I'm not, you know, white, I'm not black, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. And he says, I understand where you're coming from. Obviously not referring to race, but referring to you know, yeah. having a soul. So I feel like when you when you kind of examine his behavior in the flashbacks from when Judy first encounters him towards the end when he starts helping her, that scene at the Griffith Observatory is when he first really starts having, like you can g- get a little bit of a sense that he's starting to open up a little bit because he asks her about the boyfriend, whereas before he was just completely dismissive. So I feel like it's, he starts the episode wanting nothing to do with it, just be by himself and then he starts to open up and feel, okay, maybe I can help people. I can I can be more human. And then the humans are the ones that turn on him. So then he right. just gives in to yeah. the demon saying, take them all. Oh, and eventually he'll end up in the 90s, just like on the streets eating rats. <laughs> yeah. Like The Hyperion was actually like a high point for him in his history. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Um, I did read that there was like fans were like, wondering what he would have done with that money. He bought a hotel, bitch. Yeah, that right? has to be like, what I was like, <laughs> And then, but I read that if, God, now I can't find the fucking, oh, here we go. Minear says that he often gets asked about what Angel did with that stolen money that he recovered from its hiding place 50 years after stashing it in the hotel. Minear says that as far as he is concerned, Angel did not keep the money or use it to buy the hotel. Instead, Angel sent it back to the bank in Salina, Kansas, from which Judy stole it in 1952. Which, like, pfft, that's I a stupid shit. <laughs> I couple shit. No. <laughs> also, don't take don't take it away from me that like a black woman funded that she bought right. that hotel. <laughs> yeah, well, and not only just funding it, but like it was also a source of so much turmoil and anxiety, discrimination, and hate. And now it's going to be turned into an agency of good and helping the helpless. Yeah. That's actually a very powerful, beautiful statement. Agreed. You know? Why? Yeah, and like sending it, you're wrong. And sending it back to the bank, like, oh, right, because if they're still around, they're really hurting for whatever she stole. Right, like. that local bank in Kansas did not <laughs> yeah. care about the $300 she stole in 1950. <laughs> the local bank that uh, made all of its money from, like, the Kansan sharecroppers <laughs> and slave traders, like, right. guys. Oh, my God, Nick, <laughs> church, yeah. <laughs> Like she deserved to steal that money. Give yeah, me a break. <laughs> this is just um, like for me. It's like a 1950s set it off, but instead of like Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett, it's just <laughs> just this, this rando woman <laughs> who gets a little bit of help from a vampire. You know. <laughs> so like, not to not to harp on it, but when she, I feel like I'm gonna cry just saying it. When she says, "Am I safe?" and he says, "You're safe," whew, that like. 
made me cry so much. I had to like wipe my glasses. Like I think I <laughs> I finished like five minutes before we were supposed to record, and I was like, I need more minutes to like Same. not sound like I'm crying. Like <laughs> I was sitting on the cr- couch crying watching this, and like in my tears, I'm like, but how did she get food? Who was like, where did <laughs> we didn't have Uber Eats? I don't understand. I will say that did always bother me a little bit with those episodes. It's like, if she was stuck there, how didn't she die? Because like, sure, he was feeding off her, but like, right? Well, because she said that he kept people from the door. It was only a condemned building. Oh, yeah, you know, no big deal. Anyway, I I also wonder, like, it's weird. So um, Zach asked in the last episode, he was like, wait do they like go to the hotel pretty early on? And Ryan was like, yes. And it's such a good setting. Each door opens a new plot line. He was like, you can open a door and there's a ghost. You can open a door and there's an old lady. I, it's weird that angel, what does he do with her? Cause he, he puts her to bed very sweetly. You know, she passes and then he goes downstairs and doesn't tell them what he did. And he doesn't have a body with him. Like, do they just leave it there? Right. Well. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I did not think of that. Uh, I do like the idea of like every door contains a new plot line because very literally, and you're going to hate me for this, but I'm going to be this obnoxious. This episode is a locked room mystery where it's like, who shot the guy? I don't know. It could be anybody, which is like the literary trope for behind that door is a storyline <laughs> that you know nothing about. <laughs> I mean, you are you are not incorrect. Um, <laughs> uh, and then we we close on, which I do think is cute, when Wesley's like, "You don't find me especially paranoid, do you?" And Angel says, "Not especially." And he says, "Oh, thank God, I was worried." Which I think is like a very cute. <laughs> we really like Wesley's season one. They surely did not know what to do with him. He was slipping on banana peels all the time. And as Carlos in our Patreon Discord always says, he's like. The drinking game with Slayerfest is now Ian mentions that Wesley falls three times in the episode She, which is my most hated episode of this show. The terrible episode. He literally falls three different times in like a whoa kind of way, um, which is stupid. So I'm really glad that in season two, they immediately seem to be like, he needs to be a little bit more confident and like capable because he's part of this team, which they also do with Cordelia really quickly. But she was I, never like not smart. Yeah. It, it's wild to me. I was trying, I mean, I know that, you know, obviously we're focusing on season two uh, in, in this go round, but I was like, it really does feel like the distance they crossed between goofy Wesley to season five, Wesley and same for Cordelia in her run. Like it happens really fast. Right. Like, it's not just me yeah. being like, these seem like completely different people, but I yeah, it's Cordelia. I do feel like, the development was there only because like season one, she's more like mean girl, bully, slowly helping. And then in prophecy girl, she's helping them crash. You know, she's saving Miss calendar and Willow. Yeah. Wesley, Wesley for me does feel like a little bit of a rewrite. Um, But I know some people love, like they think he has the best character arc and I do like his arc. Oh, I'm one of those people. Absolutely. Because they (laughs) definitely. (laughs) I love his arc so much too, but to to go back to, Cordelia, I think a lot of credit needs to go to Charisma yeah. and her acting because there's this one scene after after Jenny is killed in season two and Buffy's like, Cordelia, would you drive us to 
Giles's place and the way charisma delivers the of course. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And that's when you know it's it's so easy to play a bitchy character, but to play a bitch who has a strong heart. And that that all goes to charisma. So I agree with you. It, I, I'm gonna say that I think Chris like Cordelia took a while to get to where she's at at the end of Angel. But I think you don't notice it as much because of charisma's acting. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or approach uh, to the character. Yeah. And even like her cute, like when she's like, oh, we're not moving in here. I can't. She says that the place gives her the heebie-jeebies. She's like, I don't want to be here anymore. And Angel's like, we're moving in. And she's like, go to little throw pillows. It'll be like home. Like she just like <laughs> rolls with it. Love it. <laughs> well, and, and like even like the first episode of Angel season, you know, one episode one where she's here like, hey, you're a vampire. And you're like, no, that's yes. just R2. I'm from Sunnydale. We have our own. <laughs> that line could have come across really bad, but it, yeah. again, it was the way Charisma did it. So, you know, I, I mean, I think we talked about this in the becoming live stream day spring, but like a lot of the lines, like Buffy's whole monologue with her mother, a lesser actor that would have seemed fucking stupid, right? Saying like, I have to save the world again and making okay. it actually yeah. like land and be emotional. That's not easy yeah. because like, out of context that sounds stupid right but it's right. not stupid yeah. in context it works we've already seen another actor take on the buffy role and see it fail miserably <laughs> Chrissy Swanson. Is it a lot of <laughs> right, i'm on this podcast i shouldn't say anything <laughs> nick so rude nick i love the shade here <laughs> i don't um, think by the way i don't think eliza or sarah did their characters any justice for for that, that body swap I, I mean, I think one did a way better job, or one did a more five by five job. <laughs> okay, <laughs> listen, that <laughs> that last scene in that episode, yes, but like I think I don't know. Anyways, that's another episode for another day. Agreed. So now that we are at the end of the episode, Nicholas, what was your favorite scene? <sighs> the final scene with Judy makes me cry every single time. Dayspring. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I just think like so much comes in that ending scene. It's beautiful. It's emotional. Nick? It's the Jesus to Judas moment where he realizes <laughs> it's fucked good. up. Can we coin that term going yeah. forward for other episodes? Uh, and, and he looks at her like, I remember what it's like to be a human. And, you know, it's cool. We're all just trying to figure it out. <laughs> I I mean, for me, it's the the end because i i don't think i would love this episode as much if uh, we didn't get that end what was our favorite i know there aren't a lot but favorite outfit of the episode day spring i think cordy stop i think right. I, one of the next mentioned it earlier i mean it's cordy cordy all the way although david boreana's in every scene especially the rebel Tavakaz scene at yeah. the territory is so hot i'm so wow yes like, so handsome yes Correct. Um, Nick G, what was your favorite outfit? Oh my god, that like gorgeous little fifties number she's wearing when she uh, is in the room and, and she's like, "Oh, I'm I'm just the maid." I'm like, "All right, you look amazing." That like that that is ready to wear. Okay, but to be fair, that's why I was confused and thought it meant the outfit because I, I, it, I, we, <laughs> I will absolve you later. But I'm just saying. <laughs> It is a really pretty... obvious she wasn't a maid and the color was not about the flowers on her dress, Ian. I know, I know. 
Nicholas, what was yours? Um, it definitely has to be the outfit that the Thessalac demon is wearing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all three of those, honestly. I love Cordy's top, and I I love Rebel Without a Cause, so I'm obsessed with the fact that they recreated his look down to, I mean, that, that the arm on the knee as he's smoking and everything like that. But um, as the other Nick said, I am also a huge fan of Judy's dress in the beginning. Not the one at the end when everything goes down, but um, the first one when she's pretending to be the maid. I think it's beautiful. So I'm going to go with, I actually have two. I do, the Rebel Without a Cause scene, I'm just, I mean... Dayspring, I agree so much with you. It really works for me. Um, but because I noticed in the first episode, they put him in a weird, it's not like a leather jacket, but it's like clearly a different one. And it's really like, it fits terribly. Like it looks like, I, I think I said it looks like um, the Bojack Horseman, like two kids in a trench coat. Like it's so big on him. And it's not like he's like this like tiny twink like he was in season one. He's like got muscles but it like it's like baggy on his sleeves and it's horrendous they give him a way better way better fitting like leather trench coat in this episode which i think is more like what he has moving forward like it better that's my honorable mention uh what grade do we give this episode dayspring i'll give it a b plus all right uh nicholas a nick g b plus um i give it a b <laughs> I mean, we were all close. I was, yeah, I was the harshest grader. I think I'm, that's consistent with Angel episodes. I usually am. Um, thank you all for joining me. Um, look at you guys. This was our first like episode episode with just the new co host. Yeah. Hey. Oh, my babies. Hey, yes. Um, so thank you all for doing this. Thank you all for listening. Um, I'm actually like pretty happy and excited to be getting into season two of Angel. If you want to find, us on social media you can follow slayerfest 98 at slayerfest x 98 you can find us on all podcasting platforms like spotify youtube and apple podcasts feel free to subscribe and please give us a good rating um and if you want to support us you can find us on patreon where we have a ton of bonus episodes um zoom calls and more that will be revamped come july uh, I said June last episode. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Meant July. Um, and uh, if you want to follow me, I'm at Ian X Carlos. Nick G, where can everyone find you and the con that you're helping to throw soon? Yeah, I, I realize this. Uh, yeah, so I'm not much of a personally active person on the internet because most of my efforts are going into at Geeks Out. Um, Geeks Out is the nonprofit that produces at FlameCon. Uh, so that is. If you see something that has come across those uh, profiles, so uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that is how uh, Nick and I fell in love. We met working for Geeks Out together, <laughs> which feels like a fucking hundred years ago, which kind of it was. <laughs> I don't know how it could be when we're only 17 years old. <laughs> you know, you're right. Um, Nicholas, where can everyone find you and your YouTube channel? Uh, you can find my YouTube channel on YouTube <laughs> at <laughs> Nick Says Boo. Um, you could also check me out on social media at on Twitter and on Instagram, also Nick Says Boo. And if you want to support, you could check me out on Patreon, also at Nick Says Boo. The branding is fantastic. That's right. I gotta That's say, right. <laughs> um, that is the only reason I have an X in both Slayer Fest and in my handle because, like it was already taken 
Um, so I just added the X in it, and then I was like, well, got to keep it for everything. So now I use it for every dumb thing. Um, there you go. Spring, where can everyone find you and the podcast you host? Yeah, so we're at Power of X-Men on Instagram and YouTube and all podcast platforms. We have a great episode coming up with Stephen E. Gordon, who was one of the lead character designers and directors on X-Men Evolution. So we're excited for that. Mm. And we also have a wonderful conversation with Emma Dumont, who played Polaris on The Gifted and Lenore Zan, voice of Rogue, where we talk about the many problems in the state of Florida, including LGBTQIA plus rights. And that should be coming out this month for Pride. Oh, I love that. All right, everyone. Well, yes, happy Pride. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye.